Hi, my name's Sean Sivils. I'm part of the pastor's team here at First Baptist Wimberley. Glad you're joining with us today. Have you ever thought about the kind of people that you're drawn to, that you like to be around? Um, maybe initially their athleticism or their beauty or their wealth or something about them attracts you to them, but really the qualities that you enjoy being around people. Maybe they're honest or, or compassionate. Um, maybe they're respectful to people and and considerate of other people's emotions, maybe they're just an authentic individual. I think if we thought about it, there's definite qualities that we like to be around certain people, and we find them inviting and, and drawing us into a relationship with them. There's definitely qualities that we don't like in people, and oftentimes when we see those poor character traits, we realize that they tend to push away people from us. I think that's why parents most of the time probably try to root out bad behavior in their children. No parent has ever said to their son or daughter, you know, you have an unparalleled laziness that's never been seen in humanity. Or, your ungratefulness is really impressive to me. Nobody's ever said that. Uh, no parents probably ever said, your disrespect for me leaves me a great feeling of satisfaction. Nobody says that kind of stuff. Today, the guy that we're looking at, if there was a Jerry Springer or a Maury Povovich of the Old Testament, uh, the guy we're looking at today, Jacob, would be top candidate for the TV show. Uh, this is not a kind of Bible study that's for the faint of heart. We're looking at some issues today that don't have neat and tidy little answers to them. What was there to like about Jacob in the Old Testament? He was an opportunist, a liar, a co-conspirator, uh, shifty and trustworthy, uh, definitely a deceiver and a manipulator. He was negligent. He had a father that picked favorites and he picked favorites. All of his decision-making seemed to be driven by fear. In Jacob's own thinking, he was a smart and successful kind of guy. He had utilized his intellect to deceive men and to gain blessings from them in the form of material possessions and prosperity. I think that Jacob probably approached God a lot like he approached people in his life. Uh, Jacob negotiated and worshipped God in a way that seemed to be rooted in his own selfish intents. Jacob's story, though, doesn't begin or end with Jacob. Jacob's story is a story about God. And as we come to the end of this series, Knowing God, the Faithfulness of God, the story of Jacob is one that, that causes my heart to pause and, and reflect. And the story of Jacob turns out to be a love affair between the God of the universe and the most unlikely and unworthy of recipients. I find that my knowing God and his faithfulness is yet stretched again. So pray with me as we get started and we'll dive in. God, I, I just come to you and I thank you, Lord, that you love us. Father, who is mankind that you would care about us? Uh, God, I confess to you and, and I, I praise you and worship you, God, that you are truly a faithful God. And I ask that you would speak into the craziness of our hearts and our minds and God, that you would draw our focus to you. Lord, help us to apply wisdom to the life lessons that we find in this story today. And I pray that you would change us as we encounter your goodness today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
We're going to dive into the story of Jacob. It's going to be critical to cover a lot of ground on, on the life of Jacob before we start making some of these life applications. But the story kind of begins in Genesis chapter 25. In verse 21, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on the behalf of his wife because she was unable to, to have children. And the Lord answers Isaac's prayer and Rebekah becomes pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. And she asked the Lord, Rebecca asked the Lord, she said, why is this happening to me? And the Lord said to her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, and so they named him Esau. The other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. The word Jacob, the name Jacob, means heel catcher or deceiver. And we pick up in verse 27, it says, As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I am starving. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied. But first, trade me the rights for, as the firstborn son. Esau said, Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, First, you must swear to me that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal and he got up and left. And he showed contempt as his rights as the firstborn. Jacob knew that Esau didn't value his birthright. And so he asks Esau to sell it to him. And as weird as that is, that was a legitimate uh, legal thing to do. Esau foolishly agreed, and, and we see kind of this irreligious, disrespectful heart that he has, as well as the fact is he's hasty and undisciplined in character. So the story picks up in Genesis chapter 27, and Isaac's talking, and he says this to Esau. He says, I'm an old man now, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here to me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so that he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob said to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way that Isaac liked it. 
Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including the, the baked bread. Jacob took the food to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, Isaac replied. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, It's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat so that you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so that I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob, because his hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, Now, my son, bring me the wild game and let me eat it, and I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and blessed his son. What a mess. It's God's plan all along to succeed Isaac with Jacob. But Rebecca and Jacob used deception and theft. And there has to be penalty flags flying right and left saying that is wrong. But Esau comes home a little while later to find out what's happened, and he threatens to kill Jacob. Rebecca decides to spin the situation a little bit and tells Jacob that the Canaanite women are deplorable to her and that he needs to leave town and go back to her home and find a, a woman to marry that's related to them. Jacob now finds himself on the run and alienated from his family. The deal here is this, though. God's blessings were to be received, not to be taken. They carried the responsibility that they were to be used for others and not hoarded. This was really lost on Jacob. While Jacob had a genuine belief in God's promises, he failed to live in the confidence that God would come through for him. Jacob's relentless drive to gain the benefits for himself reveals how his fears made him resistant to the grace that God wanted to show him in his life. To the extent that we believe in God's promises, oftentimes we'll be less inclined toward manipulating the circumstances in our lives for our own selves. We need to be aware of how often our heart can fool us. Picking back up with the story, Jacob's on the run, and he comes to a place called Bethel where he has a dream, and he hears a vow from God. In Genesis chapter 28, 13 through 15, says this, At the top of this stairway that he sees going up from heaven and down to the earth, at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you, and I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised. I don't know about you, but I'm listening to the story here and I'm thinking, God, are you seeing this? 
This guy is a liar and a deceiver, and he doesn't trust you. He's self-centered. He's a mama's boy, and nobody likes him. And you're going to bless him? God, you're going to be faithful to him? Wow. Makes me crazy there. Genesis 29, a little bit more to the story, and then we're going to talk about it some. Jacob finally arrives in the land of Haran with his relatives, Rebekah's relatives, and well, Genesis chapter 29, verse 9, Jacob was still talking with the guys and, and the women that he had met at this well when Rachel arrives to water her father's flock. She was a shepherdess. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, he, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and he watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her Aunt Rebecca. And so Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him, and he brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaims, You really are my own flesh and blood. And after Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work with me for me without pay, just because we're relatives. Tell me your wages and what they should be. Now Laban had two daughters, and the older daughter's name was Leah. The younger's daughter was Rachel. And there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. And since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Oh. Finally, the time comes to, for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a, a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. But the next morning, when Jacob woke up, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, and then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work for another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work for seven more years, and a week after Jacob married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah, and he stayed and worked with Laban for seven additional years. That's some crazy stuff to me. Scott Tidwell and I were talking about this passage this week. He's going to come and join me now. We're going to uh, finish out talking about the story and then just some life lessons that we get from this. So Scott, what do you think about the story so far? This is a crazy story. <laughs> the deceit that Jacob put Isaac through yeah. is something not only that we struggle with, yeah. it's something that Jewish historians have struggled with for hundreds of years, all the way back to the great Josephus yeah. uh, historian. These many, many Jewish historians have written on this story. They've tried to figure out a way because they recognize that there's this inconvenient fact <laughs> that the blessing of their father came through deceit. And yeah. so they've tried to explain it away. Yeah, he's a patriarch figure in the faith. He is. And, and so really there's kind of two camps. Okay. There's the moral camp and the amoral camp. The moral camp says, 
this was just wrong. It was deceit. Yeah. And that would do a lot of things and a lot of Bible stories in my life, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it was either right or it was wrong. Of course, then there's the other camp, the amoral camp that says, well, it wasn't right, but. Like, think back. How many times raising your sons <laughs> did something happen and you said, did you do this? And what's their response? Well, yes, but there's always <laughs> the there's always the caveat. So there's some really cool stuff that, that has been written on about this. Uh, the, the but in this is how to justify mm. the deceit. Is there a way to take what happened but justify it and kind of make it sort of appear a whole lot less deceitful? Kind of like we do. Kind of like we do every <laughs> single day. Um, the, the first school of thought was, okay, Isaac did deceive, but later he was punished by Laban. Mm -hmm. When Laban kind of pulled the same trick on him, said, you know, it's not really our custom to marry off the second or favor the second. How is it in your life there, Jacob? Yeah, it's kind of like saying it may be your custom in your home to deprive your older brother, but we don't do that here. Yeah, we try not to do that here. <laughs> so a little bit of measure for measure there. Um, Josephus's story was this wasn't really uh, wasn't really Jacob's fault. It's Rebecca's fault. Uh, Josephus woman. go, yeah, <laughs> blame the woman. But it's okay that that Rebecca committed this deceit because all she was trying to do was make sure God's plan came through in the end anyway. Yeah, you can't how, depend on God. Anyway. Yeah, how helpful to God that Rebecca would make sure <laughs> right. that His plan came through. Uh, another school of thought in these guys is Jacob was just a pawn in this deal, that really the fault is Isaac's, that Isaac knew all along that, you know, who would be fooled by goat skin? Right. You know, who, who would be fooled by all that? And so Isaac knew or, or at least misled himself into thinking that, you know, that Jacob would get the blessing. Yeah. Another guy, and this is really kind of the school of thought that I thought was really interesting, is they go back and do a, a language or a linguistic mm -hmm. study of when when Isaac or when Jacob walks in, Isaac asks who, and the statement is I, your son Esau, and they break that down in the t into two declaratives. Right. So what they say is that when when Jacob answered, he's saying I am bringing your dinner. Your son is Esau. Kind of lawyer so, speak. Huh? Yeah, kind of lawyer like, <laughs> yeah, well, let's see if we can get around this some way. Um, and the last one, really, there were two, two last ones. Jacob could do this because he was the legal Esau because he had bought the first right blessing, which mm -hmm. is really a different kind of blessing. But And the last one, which probably applies to us today more than anything else, is yeah. it was just good cunning. It was yeah. just besting the besting and getting what you needed. Yeah. And what a sad comment that is on what we try to do. That's true. You know, there's a lot of life lessons that I kind of saw through the story, uh, through studying and everything. And the first one that landed on me is, is that God is a God of promises. And he doesn't take shortcuts. He doesn't go around people. When God's made a promise, he's, he's faithful to, to, to do it. And really with me looking at Jacob, I found that uh, it, rubs, it rubs against the grain of my idea of who's getting in on the good stuff. I, I feel like in my heart that to get God's goodness, 
you need to kind of deserve it and at least be making an effort. And in Jacob, I just, I find so many things that it's like, God, why is this the guy? Why not divert and go a different direction? But it's really a story of God's faithfulness, um, that he's consistent to the promise that he's made and that he was going to, to raise up a, a nation of people. So, What a great lesson that God can use someone <laughs> like me, like me, <laughs> to do a, a, a great thing. Yeah. And the second thing is, is I, I, I found that God uses all kinds of people for His glory. I think in Christianity and in church life, uh, we see people that we're drawn to, and we think, man, that person just does an amazing job. And and sometimes we see people that are, wow, they really need to get their life together. But the reality is, is that God uses all kinds of people for his glory. He gets the glory that in our weaknesses, he is made strong. He transforms us. He makes us new. In this story, we didn't get to it, but he actually gives Jacob a new name, uh, Israel. And, and that's just who God is. He restores, he reconciles, he renews, and he declares us righteous. So, what, What's the moral of the story? <laughs> just don't be a Jacob. <laughs> don't yeah. be a Jacob. The third thing that I saw is, is that, that God is sovereign, that, uh, that God can use anything for his purposes. And, and a lot of times I think that, you know, well, God's going to use my efforts, God's going to use... Uh, my family, my church, whatever. God's going to use the big things, but there's some things that God can't use. And here, even Rebecca's deceit and manipulation becomes a tool in God's hands that he is able to use. And it's kind of like, well, God, why would you do that? Why would you use something that was definitely not right? Why would you use that for your gain? One person that I was studying said this. They said that uh, that sin... Uh, is not thwart God's efforts, that God can work through our sin, that sin bends to God's will, and that God's stronger than even our hearts or our will or our sin. God is mighty to use for his purposes all things. So I don't know if that lands on you or not. Thank God. <laughs> so the last thing that, that I really got out of this is uh, that God is kind to sinners. The kindness of God, the patience of God, the willingness to be long-suffering through Jacob's life uh, was just amazing to me. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, uh, God says this, that he, is kind, that he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Um, his mercy to us is unbelievable. Ultimately, Jacob does in, in chapter 32, 33, 35, Jacob does finally come to a breaking point. Laban is chasing him from behind to, to catch up with him for something that he's done. Esau's on the other side of him coming to him with 400 men to, to crush him, Jacob believes. And, and Jacob comes to a point where he's like, God, I'm not deserving of anything that you've done for me. But God, if you'll save me. And, and he, he surrenders to God. He does have this genuine, not self-motivated other than to save his own life, but... He does legitimately surrender to God, gives his life over to God, uh, tells his family to throw away their idols and to worship God. In the end of his life, he, he does do some amazing things to worship God and honor him. So I can see how the Jewish faith does look back at him with, uh, with honor of his faith. But for the rest of the story, it's pretty crazy stuff. It is. You know, the, the biggest lesson I got out of this this week when we've been working on this together is your comment that 
in Jacob's life, he lived his life for most of it on his heels. Yeah. He was always looking for the next person coming after him and always looking to run, always mm -hmm. in fear. And you made a great comment today. Life's not to be lived on our heels. Yeah. Life's to be lived on our knees and dependence on God. Yeah. Hope this helps this week. Read Genesis. Check out the life of Jacob. And uh, we'll see you next week.